Hey, it's Aidan here. Just before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about something new. It's called the Magician's Business Group. We've just opened up a Facebook group designed to help you guys as entertainers grow and improve your entertainment business. So if that is you, if you are an entertainer that wants help growing and improving your entertainment business, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash group and the magic of the internet will take you right there. Or if you're like me, have the Facebook app on your phone, open it up and search for the Magician's Business Group and you'll go straight there. Anyways, back to the episode. Hi there, it's Alice Baez and you're listening to the Successful Mentalist Podcast. Hello and welcome to another really exciting episode of the Successful Mentalist Podcast. Now, if you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, really, you'll know that uh, myself in particular is obsessed with psychology and not just on a on a high level just I'm interested in it but actually the behind the scenes of psychology and how that applies directly into magic and today we're going to have a conversation that really leverages all of that in such an amazing way now our guest today has done some pretty incredible things from from ted talks to research studies all around the subject uh of, of psychology behind forcing the psychology of magic and i don't want to i don't want to do all of the crazy hype because i you've got so many strings to your bow alice welcome to the show it's so good to have you here thanks thanks for having me happy to be here as well like alice you you've done so many different things i, I really want to get straight in and just like, could you give us a, an, an overview of, of some of the things that you've actually, uh, just about you and what you've done? And we'll, we'll yeah. unpack from there. So basically, I started to study psychology nine years ago, and I was already a bit into magic, but like I lack of self-discipline to have a proper level, but I had the interest um, already. And then when I had to do some small research projects for my undergrads, I wanted to make my research fun for me and my participants because most of the time psychological research is like having a participant in front of a laptop pushing buttons uh, and it's like very boring for everyone. So I wanted to do something fun and I wanted to combine it with uh, magic tricks. So I got into uh, the magic literature and I was, um, so in, in psychology, I was into all the techniques which can influence our behaviors. And that's where I saw the link with forcing techniques. So I started to do small research projects on forcing techniques and to explain how we are influenced in our day-to-day lives and stuff like this. And then it just grew and grew. And then I ended up doing an entire PhD thesis on that and so I spent the last three years doing a lot of experiments using all kind of forces to test uh, the success rates and the psychological mechanisms that underpin the techniques basically. So exciting I mean this is just amazing Uh, would you be able to give a little insight to to, to what was your like your favorite part of those studies? Oh I think Mm, the there's one I really like because it's a risky one. Um, I use like when I started to get into like the magic literature, I was very naive, I think, and I was very into uh, all the Darren Brown stuff. And I started to found, find um, his techniques on like how he can influence people to think of specific cards 
with like just specific gestures and like conversational gestures and keywords. And I was like, this is so cool. I want to test this. And I was so sure because it was the Rembrandt that it was going to work so well. So I tried this. Uh, it worked, but not that much. Um, but still, it's really fun. So um, I've done, uh, I think, 10 experiments on one of the Rembrandt's technique uh, in which he primes the, the spectators to think of the Three of Diamonds. And it's just like, I, I love doing this because still, if it doesn't work like 100% of the time, it's still very fun for me to, like for me, it's the real magic of, of psychology as well, because you actually influence the thought process, which is uh, very hard to influence. And in psychology, the effects that we have, even though it's like very small for a magician, it's like huge for science. Um, it's like we didn't know before the, these experiments that we could actually influence people that much. So that's where I, yeah, I love this one. <laughs> what I particularly love is the fact that you've not said the psychology of magic, but you've said the magic of psychology. Yeah, like that so small little distinction. Oh, it just makes a, life a massive smile on my face. And I think we're—I think all of us, myself and Ashley included, uh, we've looked at Darren and we thought, oh, Darren Brown, amazing. And the three of, three of Diamonds in particular, like we've seen all of these and thought we have to try this. We just have to go and try it. But the fact that you've just gone and actually tried it with research, pretty pretty cool, pretty cool. Uh, was, there, was there anything that surprised you as you started actually learning about like the, the the psychology within magic was there anything that stood out as like a, a, a I don't know a surprise I think two main things the first one is that we are fooled way more easily than I thought we could be fooled um, and the second one is that magicians tend to rely a lot on intuitions rather than actual facts. So, like, I'm surprised all the time for each experiment. And I'm working with my supervisor, who is, like, a magician and who has been a professional magician as well. And so we start each experiment with a hypothesis um, based on the magic literature, such as, um, so we, we have an experiment, we have uh, done several experiments on the crisscross forest. And so when you read the magic literature on that, you basically read all the time that the crisscross force or the crosscut force uh, works basically because you have a time of misdirection when you do the, the cross shape. And we were sure that it was about this. And it's not at all. So basically we found out that when you have no um, misdirection at all, you do the cross shape and you ask the spectator straight away to take the force card. Uh, they don't get it. Like it, it's not useful to have a time of misdirection. So we were really surprised by this. Uh, we thought it was a mistake. We've done several new experiments. We had the same results, and then we wanted to try to really break the um, the forest to see why it was working so well. So we ended up having uh, numbers from one to fifty-two on the back of the cards like big numbers on the back of the cards and asking uh, people to, to do the cross shape and take the, the cards straight away as well without misdirection. It was still working like I think 90% of the time. People were just not paying attention at all and it was still working. So then we ended up basically um, removing the cross shape 
having the numbers on the back of the cards, just asking people to cut the deck, take the force cards, and it was still working more than half of the time. So basically, we are like, like, and it's the same for like, we tested the magician's choice with like four different cards, and we wanted to see whether we could um, make people understand that they were forced by repeating the same uh, sequence three times in a row. So I had like four cards on the table, always forcing the third card from the left, for instance, three times in a row. So they were seeing that they were always ending up with the same card, whether they would uh, um, touch different cards each time. And it was still working. So basically, the two main things, I'm going back to the beginning, sorry, uh, is that people are fooled way more easily than I thought. And maybe magicians um, overestimate how much they have to make efforts to fool some people, which is a good thing, I guess. So we're saying that it's far much easier to do our job than what we <laughs> assume. <laughs> like we're putting a lot into it. And, and and secondly, you said something there. I know, I know so many magicians talk about time misdirection, but you're saying that doesn't really play much of a factor when it comes to, to certain things like with the, the Chris Cut force. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That, like, that's amazing, but just it it's working uh, as much without the time misdirection. In the um, basic um, experiments, uh, I asked people to cut the deck. Um, I did the cross shape, shape, then I asked them, what's your name again, to you know uh, take their attention away from the deck. Just have a time delay as well. So it was just like 15, 20 seconds. It worked 100% of the time. We had no participants understanding that they were forced. And then for the other group, um, I took away the, the attentional misdirection. So I was just having a time delay where I was awkwardly staring at the deck for 15 seconds just to have the time delay to see whether it was having an impact or not. And then in the other condition, I had no time delay and no what's your name again question. So we just wanted to have different groups to see whether attention or misdirection, asking someone um, a question and time delay had an impact, but it's not useful. Well, it's you don't necessarily need these, at least. That's, that's it was so very controversial. I know that it's really yeah. hard to consider it, but I really encourage you to try it yourself. I, I, I love that. I know so many people listening right now will be mind blown because it's it, like you say, it's, it's in every book because that's what people assume. And, and, and what you're saying, it goes down to people just being fooled so much more easier than we first assume. And why do you think then, like this is a question that comes into my mind. Why do you think people are so easily fooled by something so simple then? I think it depends on the, the force um, of the, uh, yeah, on the technique. For this particular um, trick, we ended up um, thinking that what happens basically is that the cross shape, what happens in the crosscut force is quite unusual visually for people. And so they tend to simplify it unconsciously in their heads and they end up thinking that they are taking the cards they cut to. Um, and that goes back to the facts, basically, where we tend to simplify things without being aware of this and to to uh, take shortcuts whenever we, we can. So if you look at the what's called the psychological forces, 
in the magic literature, um, basically what happens most of the time is that these kind of forces works because we tend to go for um, automatic impulsive type of behaviors and we tend to take a path of least resistance, basically. So if we can make our life easier, we will try to well, unconsciously do so. So for instance, if I do a visual refill force, uh, the spectator is going to take the card I want them to take because I'm making it easier to see than the others. I'm making it easier to memorize than the others. If I'm using uh, some strategic positioning for the cards, people will tend to grab the card which is closer to their uh, hands. Um, and if you use some um, priming uh, mechanisms, such as Darren Brown's uh, techniques, even if it's not working 100% of the time, people are thinking the card which is made easier to think for them. This is amazing. It's simplicity being such a, an underpinning factor. Just we, we operate so simply. So just being able to leverage that, that's amazing. And, and there, there's so many times in all of the magic books and everywhere, we get these routines that are really complicated, really convoluted in order to hide a force or to make a force hidden. And actually what, what we might benefit from is just making it even more simple that's that's just fascinating I, I love that and i'm gonna be i'm gonna be uh, i'm literally gigging in a couple of uh, next week i think and i'm gonna be a hundred percent trying uh, this crosscut force without the misdirection just to uh, just to see and actually see it live which is oh, i mean i'm so excited this is so cool let me know what happens i'm really curious Oh, yeah, I'm going to be doing it all day, 100%. That's it. The only trick I'll, I'll be doing now is just that. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, well, here's the thing then, because we've spoken a little bit about sort of how they work, why they work, and, and, which is amazing. But I mean, it's, it's painfully obvious at this point, but why should somebody actually say somebody listening to this that maybe doesn't do psychological forces or maybe doesn't really do any forces in their act whatsoever? Why, why should they care about understanding this stuff? Um, I think i'm not sure it's the best analogy but i think magic is a bit like driving a car like you can drive your car like you you can learn how to drive a car and go wherever you want by learning the tricks of the car turning the wheel and stepping on the brake and so on but the day you want to improve your car and make it uh, faster or the day you have some issue with your car and you want to fix it you will have either to uh, know someone who can help you with this and uh, someone who understands the, the car, or you will have to yourself understand the mechanisms making the car uh, works, right? So I think magic is a bit like this. Um, you can do like you can be a good performer. You can have like a lot of tricks, um, but still, if you want to improve your tricks, you you still have to understand why it's working and play with this. So I think that's where it gets interesting. I like that. And I like the analogy. I think it works really, really well. It okay. goes down to that. To, <laughs> sigh of relief there. You know, it, goes down to, it goes down to that old saying, like it's in order to, uh, what's, uh, I, I'll be honest, there's a saying and it's about sharpening a saw. And I think it was Abraham Lincoln, but I can't remember the full quote right now. But long story short is that given enough time, the easiest way for him to, to chop down the tree is not to keep hacking at it with a, with a blunt saw. It's just to spend more time sharpening the saw so that it takes less 
uh, swings of the axe to cut down the tree. And it's the same kind of concept here. If we want our performances to get better, it's one step to to just do more performances and, and get more flight time out of it and improve from there. But it's another thing entirely to look behind the scenes and see what's going on and be able to use that to make the figurative axe sharper <laughs> that your analogy is way better than mine with that. Uh, well but this, this is really interesting because we've again cards are so fundamental in magic um have you done any work outside of, of, of playing cards um yes yeah, so we've done some work unpublished on forces using restrictions so for instance um the kind of thing that you can uh, find in banashek's books so asking people to think of two simple geometric shapes, one inside the other one, and then people end up thinking of a circle inside a triangle. So we did some experiments on this, and we don't have results, so that's why it's unpublished. So basically what I'm finding is that it's not reliable, and whether you actually use restriction or not. So for instance, if I ask someone to um, choose a number between 1 and 10, for example, three, that's what uh, the, the type of script that you can find in Banachek's book uh, using restriction, like implicit restriction, just by naming three. Uh, it's supposed to enhance the likelihood that people will choose the number seven. So when we do experiments where we have one condition in which we say choose a number between one and ten, for example, three, or another condition where we say choose a number between one and ten, Basically, what we find is that it has the same, like you have the same results, whether you have some kind of restriction or not, you have the same percentage of people um, choosing up, uh, choosing uh, seven. So you don't necessarily need that as well. Um, and it's still not reliable, like not really reliable because it's maybe like 40% of people choosing this kind of um, items. But still, I have to say, um, we have limitations in the scientific methods. So for this type of experiments, it's often online. It's not in the context of a magic trick. So we are probably missing some important stuff as well. That's so interesting. And I know people like, uh, as soon as you mentioned, like the, the circle, triangle, square, whatever force it's called, I, I saw Ashley's face because Ashley, Ashley loves that and, and uses every it quite well. Every time I gig, every table. Yeah, which is why it surprised me. And and now I've started thinking about it. I I wonder I I wonder what it is about my performances that makes it work because I like I know I know sometimes people will look about this stuff and go, "Okay, if a force works, it it might just work and they remember the the times they get lucky and forget about the times it doesn't, which might persuade them to use it." But but genuinely for me it works, I would say, like, a lot. Like, I, I I haven't monitored it like you because I'm not going out there, science background. Like, I need to prove every table and work out what the statistics <laughs> are between each table. Like, <laughs> that's not what I'm there for. But, like, if I had to take a stab in the dark, I would say like, at least 8 out of 10. Again, this is only a stab in the dark to get an estimate. And, and I'm wondering what it is about my style of performance and, and whether it is as simply as being in the style of a magic trick or, or is there something else that we're doing or is there something that we're we're doing as performers to heighten the likelihood that we're just not aware of because if, if we're doing it the same way which we are 
why is one more reliable than the other? Like, this is a really fascinating question, and I doubt we're going to get an answer in the podcast, but it, it's literally just come to me. And I'm like, because this is so fascinating for people that listen, because we get a lot of mentalists, a lot of magicians do these things, like the cross-cut force we mentioned at the beginning. That you're saying about timing misdirection, you've just said, yeah, that's irrelevant, you don't need that. Like, blown people's minds immediately. And, and now you're saying, like, psychological forces, so far, like, you need to do more work on them, but they're they're not that accurate so I'm, I'm wondering like is there a missing piece of the puzzle or have we have the magicians that have just done it doing something else that they're not aware of or is it just the fact that they've just been lucky i think it's different things so i'm not saying it's not working at all so what i was saying for the uh, choose a number between one and ten for instance is just that the restriction is not playing a huge part if playing a part at all but for the circle triangle thing for instance i think the research shows that it's about uh, 45 to 50 percent which is already great but it's not in the context of a magic performance and i think as a performer you will for instance not immediately start with this kind of uh, trick and you will have like build some kind of rapport like relationship with your spectators you will um, engage them in the whole process you will be live rather than online, uh, having people reading the script. So all these factors will definitely have an impact on how much people will end up uh, choosing the the items you want. And that's things that unfortunately we have to remove from the scientific method because if we want to look at one specific uh, factor to see whether it has an influence or not on what's happening, we have to like try to control everything else. So that's where it's hard as well to see um, other like the impact of other social factors, and I think you definitely have like so many things that that you do as performers, which enhance the success rate of this kind of stuff. Definitely, I think Ashley's just just in that moment there. We just real we we just brought Ashley into the world of psychology, and it, so many questions and just so few answers, and it will go on and on and on forever. <laughs> uh, and it's really interesting. Like you mentioned that. The, the scientific method, like you've got to strip an awful lot of traditional magic out in order to find out what what magic is. It's really that it must be so difficult to navigate. And I, I mentioned to you a, a, a while back, a few weeks back, one of the things that I've a little personal ambition is to go and perform my witch hand routine, which is just relies on psychological methods. And just do that like with somebody like under a brain scan or just some way of being able to see literally what goes on, but. It doesn't look like that's going to be even remotely scientifically valid anymore, which is just so confusing. It's wow. I mean, oh wow. I've just had a little bit of a, a thing there. So I want to steal a question from um, a, a very great podcast that I listened to, the Flow Research Co- uh, Collective. They they talk to peak performers and industry professionals all over the world, and they they round out their interviews with a question that I want to drop in right now. Uh, and it's quite simply the, the research genie. And it's this idea that if you could have like one research question just answered, like you wake up in the morning and on your desk is just a research question that's just been fully answered right there for you, what Ooh. would that question be? And I know that's very on the spot, but I'm just... Do I have to say with magic, though? any anything you like anything you like i think i would i would i would i want to see why placebo works placebo effects because it's still we still have so many things to understand uh, about this 
but it makes me think it's still related to, to magic somehow. Um, we started doing some experiments using fake uh, placebo machines. So basically I had like a fake EEG machine. Um, I would put like fake EEG stuff on people's heads and basically make them uh, think and believe that the machine was reading their minds or influencing their minds. And I was using some mentalism techniques to do this, to prove that I was actually like, I was ask people to uh, choose some number in the heads and then tell me the number. And I was showing them that I had the number already. And we are finding that these kind of techniques uh, taken from mentalism are really useful as well to study placebo effects because we had like so many participants starting to have like weird physical sensations when they thought the machine was influencing their minds. And it was so interesting. We are trying to find ways now to use these mentalism techniques to uh, have placebo effects on either depression or even cre creativity. So that's where we are going next, using magic to help people. <laughs> wow. Uh I mean, that's so interesting. And I feel like I need to keep updated with all of this because this is fascinating. I've well, never been speechless on the podcast before. Can I Can I just, and it's okay if, if you don't know the answer to this, because this, this has come from a just like a big question. Like, where would you start when looking into using a placebo for something like that? What do you mean? Like you'll mention like using it to help people with like creativity or depression. Like where would you start? Like how would you go about like actually making that a thing and like helping people? Like my mind is blown that this, this is like something which you'd want to work on. Like if, if the opportunity came up, but like how would, how would you go about like, I don't know if that makes sense, but like how would you go about like making that a thing and actually using it? So basically, we want to, we actually want to do this. So we want to use this game of fake machine and say, okay, this machine uh, will help you, well, will help you um, enhance your creativity. Like it will have an impact on your brain waves and it will, it will enhance your creativity. But before we uh, measure pe uh, participants' creativity, we will use mentalism techniques to prove, prove that you are actually influencing their brain waves or uh, actually influencing their thought process. So we take mentalism techniques. We show that, well, we can read their mind with the, with the machine. We can actually implement some thoughts in their mind, which is an illusion. People don't know that. And then we say, okay, now we're going to um, program the machine so that it enhances your creativity or it can um, impacts the, some uh, brain areas and make you happier and uh, this kind of stuff. So it's it's the ultimate deception, but for the ultimate good. Yeah. And the next step would be to say, uh, this is an illusion. Still do the same thing and see whether it works or not. Because research is now showing that you can do what's called open label placebo and say to people, this pill is a sugar pill. But uh, maybe it can have an impact on your health. So let's see what happens. And still you can have placebo effects and people will have uh, benefits from that. 
I, I actually heard a lot about that because I used to be really interested in um, placebos when I was studying biology. Like I've recently got a new book, um, which is like the science and technology of, of growing older. And, and like, I remember me and you, Aidan, talking about a lot of things mentioned in there. Like, it's mainly like if you want to live longer, you have to believe and, and think that you can live longer and then you do and like there's studies out there to suggest that like if you're out there thinking oh i'm i'm gonna die at a certain age then you will it's like um and and i i think there was uh we we were talking to someone about this the other day um a young lad called a uh, shanad um about what was it the uh roger was it roger bannister aiden yeah the, yeah the bannister that was it yeah and it was that whole idea of i can't remember what it is but someone running a hundred meter race and then everyone once they believe they could run it do you want to just can you just quickly fill that in? Because I feel like that's very relevant. Yet I can't remember exactly what the banister effect is overall. So I'm relying on you filling out my question for Alice here, Aiden. <laughs> banister effect being the the belief that nobody could run uh, a mile in four minutes, and as soon as Roger Banister was, he he did the four minute mile. Suddenly, within a month, two months, three months, a very short period of time afterwards, suddenly everyone all over the world was able to run that four minute mile and it was just that glass ceiling that mindset that was broken and as a result new possibility was opened up yeah that's interesting it's the same for intelligence as well like i don't know if you if you've heard about the growth mindsets so basically if you think that intelligence is something which is fixed and you uh you are intelligent or not you or if you think that you can like it's malleable and you can improve and become more intelligent these kind of beliefs will definitely have an impact on how intelligent you can be so it's just a question of mindset and what you think you can do or be which is interesting well i remember when i spoke to scott barry kaufman about this for for a little while um last uh, was it oh gosh last year wow time flies um a little while ago and he was we spoke about this whole concept of of uh, intelligence in the context of actually getting people to take action and, and for further context it was about actually our our learn to thrive coaching program and we've we found that from all of the people that apply and actually come through to the actually join the course the 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 one thing that we seem to find is across the board for the people that do really really well in that course and through the application process and everything is that concept of open mindset growth mindset and it was it was just fascinating and as soon as we had the penny drop moment of oh wow that's that's a significant factor suddenly we switched up everything and that's really now the only thing that we're filtering for um as we get people in so again completely out of context but same sort of context uh point there but simplicity we kept it simple I wanted to ask a question at this moment because I I'm going to be honest Alice this this wasn't the direction I thought this podcast would take and like personally like i've learned a lot like you've changed my opinions on so many things here and i thank you because like this has been golden like what you shared and for you i imagine you're just like oh i came on i talk about some really really simple stuff and these boys just look mind blown <laughs> but, <we are. laughs> but I, I wanted to ask like at this point what why did you get into this why this fascination with how people think Mm, that's a good question. I think I'm very interested into in decision making because we make so many decisions all day long that it tells a lot about who we are as people. Um, and the fascination with like forcing techniques 
is related to this as well because I think it also tells a lot about how we think we are free from a lot of influences all the time. And in fact, so many of our decisions are influenced by either external factors or internal factors as well, such as if I am hungry, I will make very different decisions as if I am not. So don't go to the grocery store if you are very hungry. You will not make great decisions. Um, and I think just looking at these very specific concepts and, and things tells a lot about people in general. Like if you if you look at people's uh, like memory processes, it's very specific. If you look at decision making, I think it it it's more related to so like it's related to so many other psychological principles that it's it's a great way to understand people in general. And why do I want to understand people? I don't know. I think it's fun. it is. It most certainly is. That is the right answer there. Uh, not that there is a right answer, but in this case there was, and it, that was it. Yeah, I, th- I think from from my perspective, just to just to throw that in there is like. I'm obsessed with this kind of stuff because it helps me do my jobs better mm. just by being able to to like at least understand. It gets really hard to be angry at people when you've got a little bit of an idea and on why they've thought that or done that thing or, or made that decision. And it, yeah, it's so interesting because it just means that, especially in in performance mode in Magic, like we can we can accurately reflect what people are doing, saying, thinking, feeling, uh, and use that to actually blended to magic um which is something that's particularly particularly fascinating truth be told that's the great thing as well like if you understand these processes you can actually take advantage of your brain flows and make it better for you in your day-to-day life as well as like if you're a magician and you understand the psychological principles underpinning the techniques then you can improve it yeah Um, and you've you've We've we've spoken about this the whole time in terms of the 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 psychological underpinning of magic, but I want to f- I want to look at the other side of the coin right now because we've got the underpinning of magic here the 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 using psychology to make the magic better or or even work in the first place, but there's a lot of performers out there that that don't do it that way round. They do they do the magic pretending it's psychology and they do do the card tricks pretending that it was some mind control situation here and and i I think a lot of it's come from like darren's rise to fame and and all of the work that he's done and i'd just love to get your thoughts on that that whole concept of because i guess the core question is using magic as a disguise for psychology uh is that kind of ethical what what are your thoughts on that it's very hard for me to answer this question because like from my personal point of view, I really like this type of performance. I think it's my favorite ones. Like I, I'm a huge Darren Brown fan and I love this type of presentation. From a scientific point of view, I um, have to say it's not a great thing to do because we have also done so many research showing that even though you have a disclaimer saying that you don't actually like it's an illusion, it's a show, you don't use uh, like psychic um, powers or that you will lie to your spectators at some point in the show. If at some point later or during the show you present your effect as based on psychology or cold reading or, you know, reading people's body language or this kind of stuff, people, like, it will be very hard to to 
for people to leave the show without believing this, even if you have some type of disclaimer. So I'm not sure it's helpful for science or for spectators as well, because it's like if people believe in this kind of stuff, they will, um, for instance, I think there's many um, young students arriving in psychology, like as undergrads, believing in this type of, of stuff and then becoming very, um, um, how do you say that? Not bored, but disappointed. Um, and yeah, so if you're very skeptical in nature and you see a show um, talking about this stuff and framing it as psychological, maybe it will be okay. But if you are not very sure about your beliefs about this, it will definitely have an impact on, on your spectators' beliefs and not sure it's very helpful. And just to expand on that question, because there's also a different type of performer, as we know, there's a performer that will uh, present mentalism tricks, like mind reading tricks, as psychic. So they go out there, they perform as a psychic, they do tarot readings, uh, they go out there and, and do mind reading. And, and say that it's real and say that it's psychic, myself included. He's describing <laughs> his act here, by the way, just to paint, and, the, paint the picture. And I'm really, I'm really um, curious to know at this point, forget I'm here, be like completely honest with your answer here. Like literally, if you want to insult me, insult me. That's what I'm saying. You can say whatever you want. But we've spoken about your opinion on people presenting magic tricks as, uh, as, as if they have like, uh, as if it's all psychology and all about that. What's your opinion on people presenting magic tricks as if they have like a divine psychic power? I think it can be very dangerous because then like it's fine when you're a magician and you do a magic show. It's like it's all right. But then people live with some beliefs and they will look for other answers from people who will not maybe have your intention as a magician, which are good. Um, and then ending up losing a lot of money, time and energy as like searching for answers um, in places which are not appropriate. So I think it can be very dangerous for, well, again, people who have already these types of beliefs or are not very sure about this stuff. Like if you're very skeptical, I'm not sure it's going to have a huge um, impact, but yeah. Yeah, it's those people who... Is like the skeptical people from both answers are, are the category which is safe, but it's the other people then. Is there a way of maybe, let's say, presenting psychic or psychological mentalism so that it doesn't have a negative impact um, on the people that were performing it? Not sure. I, I, I can't see one, actually. And I'm like, I'm very sorry to say that because I, I love this type of performances. But I, I don't, for now, I can't see a way in which it's not hurtful. Yeah. So I guess maybe the answer there is we just need to be more honest and just say that we're magicians. Yeah. You know, like there's also we've done some some research on like the type of words and frames you you use to present your performance. And you can read, uh, for instance, a lot of the time that's using words such as trick uh, is not a good way to present your performance. And you have to frame it in another way, say effects, for instance, or other kind of words but when you look at like very famous famous magicians like Juan Tamaris or Donald David Blaine they use this kind of words um, and when you look at whether it has an impact on how much people enjoy the performance 
it doesn't matter to them. Like they like it just as much if you say it's a trick, or it's just an illusion, or it's some kind of mentalism, uh, clever um, technique, which is good, right? Mm. It's reassuring. <laughs> it's reassuring to say the least. No, that's so interesting because the belief systems of our audiences are so important, so important to be able to to pick up on. And I think it would. We're just talking surface level here and just presenting tricks overall in, in either one or or two of these categories. But digging even deeper and, and say in traditional plot in mentalism is think of a thing or think of a personal memory. Think of something personal, write it down and I'll divine it through either some form of psychological or psychic approach. In which case, like the more personal pieces of information seem to be the better at generating reactions for the most part. There seems to be a strong correlation. I don't know whether there's any specific research on that, but it just, from personal experience, seems to be the case. But actually that could end up becoming part of the problem, which is such a weird situation to be in. And I'd, I'd love to know, like, how can we go about, say, we're performing later this week, what can we do to to explore this stuff in a little bit more depth and just be a bit more aware of it in performance mode? What, just what do you mean part of the problem? Why do you think it can be a problem that people enjoy it more when it's more personal? Well, I, I just think it, it seems to be a case that because it's more personal, people latch onto it more and people stick with it more. And as a result of people... Like if if I revealed what number you put face up on a dice, yes, that's cool. I I, I did a cool trick with a dice, but if I told you your, the the name of your your first or your favorite pet as a child, and you've got really good memories with that that pet as a child, like you're gonna remember that, you're gonna stick with that, and and I think the process of how that was divined, just it, I think that that just seems to stick a little bit more. People will people will resonate with it. For example, if like. If Ashley goes on, uh, and it's one of the reasons like our show is so polarizing. Like we're writing a show at the minute, and it's literally the the, the psychic and the psychologist on stage for an evening. So it's it's <laughs> it's both ends of the ethical spectrum right there. Uh, but for Ashley, in his case, like if he's divining that really personal piece of information, well, their belief in this psychic approach is probably going to stick or at least be changed in some way, whether that's positive or negative, relative to whether it's just a, a, a dice. Yeah, Does well, I guess you can, you can have this, the same effect with a different frame. Like you don't, I think you can perform this without saying that you're using psychic powers, right? And people will enjoy it just as much. And people who already believe you're psychic or who already believe in psychic stuff will, will live the show with the same beliefs. But if you have spectators who are unsure, again, uh, it will have an impact. So, uh, um, yeah, I think it's it's really hard to answer. It's just the the thing is as well. I think as a performer, you attract different types of spectators. So I guess maybe if you have like a show framed on psychic powers, you will probably have more spectators who already believe in this this kind of stuff. So maybe it's less of an issue then. Uh, I would be I would be very keen on on actually doing some research on that and seeing whether you have very different types of audiences. I don't have any solution for this right now, but yeah, I would just try to advise 
um, performers to to be careful with what they're claiming. If you can, like, if you're already in the, the like, you already have a, a built your character based on this kind of stuff, you obviously can't change everything, but at least be careful when you can. Like, if it's not necessarily for you, necessary for you to to claim some stuff, don't do it, and just observe that people will like it just as much has been so eye-opening for so many people again not really not the route we thought we'd take it but i think me and aiden asked those questions more so out of pure literal selfish interest on what on earth we're doing and how we're presenting mentalism but i know it applies to so many people listening and and again it's another one of those moments again alice where people have just been like oh and just reconsidered absolutely everything so again thank you so much like your advice like we've covered today obviously like forcing and time misdirection and obviously restrictions and now when it actually comes down to like the ethics behind presenting mentalism like there's so much in this episode alone for so many people to dig into look at we've had ariel throughout this live podcast literally just putting his thumbs up just like yep 100 that is amazing perfect thank you and and i, I really want to do say a massive thank you from the bottom of my heart and as well from Aiden's he's been talking about this particular live podcast for ages because he generally loves the psychology behind magic and it's what he rants about all the time in his spare time well thanks I'm happy to hear that I'm happy that you like the research as well and it's brilliant generally yeah, brilliant thank you so much for having me and to finish off then Alice like we've got an audience in a hundred look we've had Ariel there fantastic session thanks so much to discuss there you go alice a, a comment straight in from ariel there and and to really wrap up you know like i said at the beginning before we started recording today we've got an audience in what 101 countries now adam what would you like to finish on is there a message that you'd like to share is there a piece of advice that you'd like to share i'll leave yeah, it to I, you i think the main message would be to um always be willing to reconsiderate your beliefs and what you know, because it's so worth it. Like when you just try to see things from another point of view, which is not yours, you have so many things to learn. So good. So good. All aspects of life. That literally covers everything inside and outside magic, everything for everyone. That's amazing. That's amazing. And Alice, where can the people of the world follow you, support your work? Because uh, I have a feeling a few people might want to do that after this discussion. So you can find uh, my work on my website, which is www.alicebayes.com. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram. I'm um, putting updates on our work or on our papers on the Science of Magic Association as well, for which we have webinars uh, right now, free webinars with great performers. So if you want to join, you're more than welcome. Fantastic. And we'll make sure all of that is linked in the uh, in, in the notes, as every podcaster says ever. Um, well, Alice, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation. It's eye It's been so eye-opening for, for so many people. And uh, we would I, I'm, I'm just going to say, we'd love to have you back on again. But please keep us updated with the research. And uh, yeah, thank you for this conversation. Thank you so much.
Hey, it's Aiden here. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, it would really mean the world to us if you just took a moment to leave a rating and a review on your preferred podcast player. That way it just helps us grow the show and get it into the ears of more listeners across the world in a non-creepy way. Also, when you're ready to roll, here are three ways that we can help you right now. Number one is to join our free Facebook group. It's called the Magician's Business Group, and we're creating the most valuable space on the internet for entertainers that are looking to grow and improve their business. We'd love you to join us inside, so to do that, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash group, and the magic of the internet will take you straight there, or just pull open Facebook and search for the Magician's Business Group. Number two is to take our new quiz. It'll help you find the biggest opportunity in your entertainment business right now. And in just a few quick questions, you'll be presented with a seven minute breakdown of your biggest opportunity and how you can actually go about tackling that to help increase your entertainment business and boost it completely. In order to take the quiz, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash quiz. That's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash quiz, and we'll be able to get you your results. Number three, momentum. If you'd like to make an extra two grand a month in magic without paying a penny for advertising, we'd love to help you. Our latest coaching program, Momentum, is designed to get you booking gigs every single week for at least £500 so that you can be growing your entertainment business without having to worry about websites or business cards or advertising or any of that kind of stuff. To find out more, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash Momentum. That's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash Momentum and we'll send you all of the details.